0: Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship. This morning's service has been created as a celebration, a celebration of nature's gifts, a little version of a harvest festival of old. It's good to put time aside from our everyday lives, to tend to things other than than our material world. We humans who could worry forever, forever and a day about our health and our houses, our jobs and our bank accounts, most of us I think need encouragement from time to time to consider other matters, to go deeper, to slow down for a while, to step off perhaps the treadmill of our ever circling thoughts. If I was to sum up the message of today's service it might be Despite everything, this is a beautiful world Despite everything, life is a remarkable gift And These opening words come from the Navajo Indians Beauty is before us and beauty behind us Above us and below us hover the beautiful We are surrounded by it, we are immersed in it In youth we are aware of it, and in old age we shall walk quietly the beautiful trail. In beauty it is begun, and in beauty it is ended. I light our chalice flame this morning, that it might remind us of the beauty and the warmth of existence that surrounds us and shines through us, despite everything. We have two stories today. Um, the, uh, and this one's called The Stolen Smell. And... Um, concerns a poor man who lived in the woods, had to forage each day just to find anything to eat. And the woods bordered on a rather beautiful town, and when the sun shone and when he'd got the strength and the energy, that poor man from the woods would walk into town and wander up and down the streets, as some of us do in Knightsbridge and places like that, looking in the shop windows. And one day, he was there, wandering up and down the street, just enjoying being alive. And then he caught a wonderful smell on the morning air. It was the smell of freshly baked bread. And it was coming from a baker's shop. So eagerly he followed his nose until he found himself inside the doorway of the baker's shop, where the people of the town were buying their morning bread and their cakes for afternoon tea. And you know, it wasn't that he envied them their feast. He simply wanted to breathe in great gulps of that lovely warm baking bread smell. That would be enough for him. The memory of that could keep him going all week. So he just stood there inside the door, breathing deeply, savoring the rich aroma, filling his whole being with the wonder of it. The baker watched him standing there in his rags inside the bakery door, and he didn't like what he saw. Oh, that man in his rags, you know, he's going to put my customers off, he thought. Ooh, he's not going to buy anything, is he? I can't let him get away with this. And so, do you know what he did? He called the police and they had the man arrested because, the baker claimed, this man has been stealing the smell of my bread. So the police took that poor man away, brought him to the courthouse, and when the time for his trial came, the judge called the poor man and the baker into the courtroom and listened to their stories. This man stole the smell of my bread, the baker claimed. I only breathed, the poor man defended himself. I took nothing away from the the shop, you can't steal a smell. And so the judge carefully weighed up all the evidence, and in due course, he delivered his verdict. I find the poor man guilty of stealing smells from the baker's shop, he declared. And this court demands that the prisoner shall pay the baker recompense of one hundred pounds. And the poor man gasped in disbelief. But how will I ever get a hundred pounds, he asked. Have mercy on me. Look, all I have possess are these few pennies. And he produced two tiny coins from the depths of his pocket. Well, bring me what you have, the judge, the judge demanded. And the poor man, he despairingly, brought the judge his last few pennies. So the judge took the pennies and then he called the baker forwards. He held out the coins and the baker moved forwards to take them. The judge stopped him. Just have a good long look at them, he told the baker. And so the baker stared at the coins and the judge then returned them to the poor man who put them back in his pocket. The poor man stole the smell of your bread, the judge concluded, and now you have been paid in kind. The case is closed. <laughs> Let's take that now into a time of prayer and reflection, shared together. Let's take time now to quieten ourselves, to, to go within To breathe, perhaps slowly and thoughtfully. To feel fully here, sitting together, joining one another in this time of worship. We might be aware of external sounds, but we're turning our attention inwards to a still place at our centre. And from this quiet, still place... Let's think of nature's many gifts to us and give thanks for these. For the food we eat and for those who work to provide that food for us. Let's give thanks for all those who have ever shopped and cooked for us and for the opportunities we may have to provide meals for others. focus our gratitude on the huge variety of foodstuffs available to us shops and market stalls filled to overflowing gratitude too for the richness of nature's bounty that leaves us overwhelmed at times by the choices before us we may be painfully aware of those who do not have such choice those who do not have enough to eat, those whose lives are harmed by our society's economic demands. May we be ever more aware of the effect our lives have on the lives of others and be inspired to work tirelessly to make this world a fairer and more comfortable place for all to live in. And at this harvest time, Let's think with gratitude of nature's great beauty, the shapes and colours of fruits and vegetables, the magnificence of trees and the beauty of flowers. Let's think too of the mysteries of our universe and for the deep learning that can come when we reflect on our place in that universe. let us lift up our hearts in thanks this day. For we human beings are indeed truly blessed. Amen. that's all stories today ok this one's shorter and involves a pumpkin but one about three times as big as the the tiny ornate pumpkin we have down before us there, it's the story of this Sufi wise fool, Mullah Nasruddin who having tired himself working on his allotment lay down and rested for a while under the shade of a walnut tree it was a warm day and so he removed his turban in order to allow the cool breezes to cool him down And as he rested, well, he meditated upon the beauty of nature and the great wisdom of Allah, who created all that is. But then, he spotted a very large pumpkin on the ground before him, and he smiled to himself, and he thought, Oh, great Allah, what a beautiful world you've created, but you know there are a few changes I'd make. Why does this magnificent pumpkin have to grow on such a miserable plant so close to the ground while the tiny walnut grows up high in this majestic tree with its spreading branches above me? If I'd been in charge, I'd have given the pumpkin pride of place high up in the tree for all to see and admire and let the little walnut grow down here on the ground. And with that thought, Nasruddin drifted into a pleasant reverie about the ways in which he might have improved creation. The breeze stirred the branches above him. Suddenly he was awakened by a walnut which fell from the tree above and landed with a thud upon his bald head. And as he rubbed his painful swollen head, a rueful smile crossed his face and he bowed down towards Mecca. Allah, forgive me for presuming ever to know more than you. To think that if I'd been in charge of creation, I would have just now been hit upon the head by a giant pumpkin rather than a walnut. Great indeed is your wisdom, and for that I thank you and sing your praises. It's not surprising, is it, that throughout human history and through all the world's religions, there are traditions of giving thanks to God at harvest time. Imagine being part of a a tribal society of hunter-gatherers, totally dependent on the bounty of the earth, and believing that a successful hunt or a rich harvest of fruit and berries signified that God was pleased with you. Imagine living in a farming community where the size of the harvest would mean the difference between a good life and starvation for you and your family and for your herds. Just like youngsters at Christmas time, we would say thank you in the hope that gratitude would bring further gifts next year or next harvest. Even today, in our world of supermarket plenty, harvest is one of the favourite services in the Christian community. So in this world of ours, which puts such value on the material acquisitions, on progress and on power, We still do need to give praise, don't we, and to feel gratitude. Some theologians argue that praise and gratefulness complete creation in some way. That when our hearts are able to receive the beauty of the earth, then that circle of gifting is complete and we become fully present to life. Gratitude then helps to make the everyday world that we so often take for granted into something special, sacred even. Perhaps it is that our love and our care and our heartfelt appreciation are really the greatest gifts we humans can give to the rest of creation. As that Christian uh, mystic Meister Eckhart wrote, it's quoted on the front of your order of service sheet, if you only had one prayer, thank you would suffice. And of course, what is most humbling, I think, for us human beings, if we sit down and think about it, is that whether we give thanks or not, Whether we even notice or not, the flowers and the fruits and all the rest of creation, the sunrises and the sunsets, they'll keep providing their beauty and their bounty. And that in my book is really worth giving thanks for. This brief address has got a subtitle of a marrow's place in the modern world. If you're going to grow vegetables, I reckon there are certain things you need to know. and One of which is that after a slow start, where you wonder if any of your seeds are going to make it through this year, after a slow start, things begin to speed up and then rapidly start to get quite out of hand. And one of the plants it's really better not to turn your back on is the courgette. Or, z- or zucchini, I think, it's, it's uh, called by our friends across the waters. Courgettes, zucchini, they need to be small in order to be crunchy and a little bit tasty. If you leave them too long, they transform themselves into the example that we have before us, the dreaded marrow. Now, don't get me wrong, I quite like marrows. But I'd be surprised to hear that the marrow has made it into anybody's list of top three favourite vegetables. It's a culinary challenge, isn't it, really, to, to turn a marrow into a delicious meal. It's not a challenge that I think is taken up by many people in Britain today, I suspect. Has anyone in this room eaten or bought a marrow this autumn oh Veronica that's marvellous uh, no one else uh, you grew one last year yes <laughs> yeah yes <laughs> they, they don't appear do they marrows on, on vegetable stalls much these days I haven't seen one this year in the Tesco's organic section The marrow has, I think, been relegated to a vegetable grown on allotments or in people's gardens. And probably like this one here, they were really meant to be a courgette, but things just got out of hand in the vegetable patch. But in a world where harvest has little meaning, when the idea that certain fruits and vegetables only appear at certain times of year has been supplanted, really, by aeroplanes that can fly cherries and green beans and apples and hundreds of other crops from one side of the world to another. In such a world, it's good, I think, to hold on to a few items that do continue to appear seasonally and that remind us of our deep connection with our turning world. The marrows, the conkers, the blackberries growing in hedgerows, the michaelmas daisies, the leaves starting to change colour and to fall to the earth. So, perhaps marrows don't have much of a place in our modern world. Perhaps their greatest hope for stardom is like this marrow of mine, to have a whole harvest festival service constructed around it, so that its growth wasn't completely wasted. But they perhaps have things to teach us, nonetheless. Maybe that the purpose of existence is to grow and develop and to use all the space around you and all the nutrients available to you and to really go for it in this life, to expand and not necessarily to stay small and neat and tidy like a courgette. That it's okay not to fit in or be packaged, that the world appreciates us whatever shape we are, that we must value ourselves and assign our own worth in this world. And that only we can say what our lives are about, what our purpose is, what we value and hold dear. So this marrow may not seemingly have much of a place in the modern world, but maybe that's how it wanted to be. The rogue vegetable, appreciated only by a few. The courgette that wanted to go large, as they say. And may we be the people who feel free enough to grow spiritually in that way, emotionally, growing to our fullest extent. Would it be a dull world if we all stayed neat and tidy like courgettes? Now, I bought our giant vegetables, which there are several down there, uh, the marrow, the unusually shaped butternut squash, on a recent visit to Down House, where Charles Darwin and his family lived for many years. The house is now cared for by um, English Heritage, and they really are doing a marvellous job of ensuring that it retains... So both a sense of a well-to-do Victorian family home and as the place where Darwin, for decades, quietly carried out his experiments that led to his theory of evolution. Darwin was fascinated by small creatures, by earthworms and beetles. And on the lawn at Down House, you can see to this day the small patch of lawn where he and his son measured the work of earthworms over years, discovering for the first time how vital worms are in bringing fresh nutrients into the soil. In the greenhouse which has been uh, um, renovated, you can see his work on flesh-eating plants like the Venus flytrap and the miniature sundews that you can find on British moorlands. It explains how these species have perfectly adapted themselves to capture the nutrients found in flies into their nitrogen-lacking diets. Darwin is well known for his fascination, his particular fascination with beetles. In his lifetime, he collected a vast number of specimens. He reckoned that there must be at least 250,000 species of beetles alone here on planet Earth with us. More modern studies have increased that estimate to around 400,000 species of beetles, and how many can we name, I wonder? Three. I've got three. Jane, are your three my three? What have you got? I've got a stag beetle, yes, in my list. What else? Scarab. Oh, that makes four then, actually. Any more? For any more? Alexander the beetle, Britain. <laughs> Dung beetles. Oh, yes. Mm. I got ladybirds, ladybirds, and um, deathwatch beetles. Deathwatch beetles. So we've probably got about half a dozen of the 400,000 that that we know of. The quote on the bottom of today's order of uh, service sheet is often wrongly attributed to Darwin. It seems most likely to have been said in various forms by the British 20th century biologist J.B.S. Haldane when asked by theologians what he might deduce from creation about the nature of the creator. He apparently said, the creator appears to have had an inordinate fondness for beetles and stars. Darwin's theory of evolution explains how life developed over millions of years here on planet Earth. We know, don't we, that we are descended from a single-celled speck of living matter in a primeval mud pool. Now that in itself is remarkable enough, isn't it, looking round at us today. But what thrilled scientists like Darwin and Haldane was the sheer exuberance of life. The uncountable numbers of stars in the universe, the 400,000 types of beetle, all adapted for particular circumstances. The giant marrows, the tiny courgettes. And it's for this exuberance of life that we gather and give thanks in a harvest festival such as this. Because there really is a great deal to give thanks for. Amen.